You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Let's bow together in prayer. We've just been singing to the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. The opposite of holy is common. The usual run of the mill. But you, Lord, are anything but that. You, Lord, are holy. There is none like you. There never will be anyone like you. You are the God who, with a word from his mouth, spoke all of reality into existence. You are the God who came and formed and fashioned the first man on this earth. You are the God who tolerated the rejection of his people. You are the God who was not willing that any should perish. You are the God who saw us when we were by our very nature aliens and children of wrath. And you are the God compelled by your love for us, even under our rejection, to come to live obediently upon this earth, to walk to the cross, and upon, upon that mark of shame you carried our sin. You carried what we deserve to carry. You got death so that we would have life. You were separated so that we could be welcomed in as children. There is none like our God. And as we've celebrated recently, the God who gave his life did not stay dead. You have risen to life. And that truth from that song that we have just sung, there will come a day when you will return and you will gather your people to yourself, and we will live forever with you. There is no God like our God. We worship you this morning for who you are. You are holy, holy, holy. We thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, that that to which we turn now is from you. We thank you, Lord, that you can lead us in your word, and we do pray your spirit would do just that, that he would be moving in our hearts and drawing forth from us a greater love, a greater desire for the Lord Jesus in our lives, that we would be changed people as a result. We bless you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Harvest. My name is uh, Craig Turnbull, and I am visiting to you today from a church that used to be called Harvest Bible Chapel, but just last week we changed our name to Hope Bible Church, and I think I've got that right. Hope Bible Church sends you greeting. It's all the way down in Oakville, Ontario, and uh, well, it's still in Ontario. It's not all the way far, but uh, we would love to, let me, let me just say this. I would love to return a hospitality that I have received this weekend. If you're ever in the Oakville area, please do come and visit us. It has been a, a sincere joy and delight for me to be here this weekend, and to 
to be interacting with your staff and your leadership and to be seeing the people of God here. Uh, as George was reminding me, uh, I go way back with, with Harvest York Region. I remember meeting with you guys in a school and seeing God walk with you through difficulties and through triumphs and bringing you into this great building and now to see, most importantly, the many lives that have been changed by the faithful preaching of God's word. It is sincerely a delight for me to be here today. So I want to thank you for having me here. Uh, the message and the passage that we have today is a message all about thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. So if you've got a copy of God's word, I would invite you, if you haven't already done so, to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. I'll get there with you in just a second. As I said, the title of today's message is At His Feet with Thanksgiving. It's all about Thanksgiving. And the reason why I feel like this is a, an important message for all of us to hear is because this world is filled with anything but Thanksgiving. You don't have to look very far, do you? Thanklessness is found in the grumpy child who says, can I have more? Can I have more? It's in the grumpy teenager who, who isn't, is looking at what they have and saying it's not good enough. It's found in the grumpier husband or wife who, who wants more and takes and takes and takes and takes. It's found even in the grumpy senior who doesn't see any good anywhere anymore and just wishes for the good old days. Uh, grumpiness, thanklessness is found in every place in our lives. It's found at the workplace where we deal with others. It's, it's found in our home with our family. Uh, we face thanklessness with our health, with our possessions, with the things that we have and the things that we wish we had, with the cars that we drive and the cars that we wish we could drive, with the bus stops that we wait at. Thanklessness appears with people who are with us and people we wish were with us. Thanklessness is everywhere. If you'd like an example of thanklessness, uh, after this service, go and wait in line at a Tim Hortons, or better yet, drive to a Costco, <laughs> and you will see thanklessness on display. You will see the world saying over and over and over and over and over again, nothing is good enough. God's word has a lot to say about thankfulness, though. Here's just a few. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me, says Psalm 50. Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And again in Philippians, he commends us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God's word commands us to be thankful all over the place. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means this. It is an inescapable reality that God wants his children to be thankful. In fact, what we're going to see as we go through our passage in just a moment is that real faith produces this real thankfulness within our lives. For the follower of Jesus Christ, it should be a reality. It should be an increasing reality in our lives as we mature in Jesus Christ that there should be an increasing measure of thankfulness in our lives. But do you see this in your life or do you see the opposite? Do you see a swamp of grumpiness and thanklessness in your life? God's word says to us this morning that that's a problem. Listen, no one wants to be immature, and no one wants to be called immature. But I will say to you this morning, actually God's word will say to you this morning, that if there is an increasing measure of thanklessness in your life, where nothing is good enough, where you are always writing the story, where you are the victim, where you just want more and more and more, and life is never having, giving you enough, 
then one of two things is true. Either, listen, you're not saved or you're immature and you need to grow up. Because the reality is, is that real faith in Jesus Christ ought to produce a real and genuine and increasing thankfulness in our lives. Just as there's nothing worse than a child who takes and takes and takes and takes and never says thank you, there is nothing worse than a self-proclaimed follower of Jesus Christ who is thankless. So how would your kids describe you as we start? How would your friends describe you? How would your husband or your wife describe you? Are you a thankful person or a thankless person? Here's the good news of grace this morning, that this book has all the answers that we need. God's mercy in God's pages for us today. To move our hearts away from grumpy, I want more, it's not good enough, away from that life to a life that says, yes, Lord, I'm thankful. So how do we live with thanksgiving uh, in our life? Let's dive into God's word together and discover together. Luke 17, I'm gonna read verse 11 to you. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Let's take this one verse at a time. Verse 11 tells us that this is Jesus, that's the he. He's walking in between a, 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 a transitional place. We're told that he's walking on the borderline, as it were, between Samaria and between Galilee. He's between two cultures, as it were. This is Jesus walking. Just to remind you if, you, if you maybe don't know this, the Samaritan culture was very different than the Jewish or Galilean culture. Samaritan culture, they worshipped at a different spot. They worshipped at a place called Shechem, where many things happened in the Old Testament. They worshipped at a place at Shechem, and specifically at a place called Mount Gerizim. And they would have their temple, and they would have their priests there. That's the, that's the Samaritans. The Galileans, however, they would say, no, we worship in Jerusalem. This is where God spoke to us. We need to worship in a central spot. This is where our temple is. This is where our priests are in Jerusalem. The Samaritans, they come from a lineage that's different than the Israelites. The Samaritans, they are transplanted, returned exiles from the Assyrian invasion. The Assyrians come along and they, they capture the northern tribes and bring them forth back to where they live. And then there's been intermarriage and there's been intermingling. And you can't quite prove the bloodline. Although they will say, no, we worship Yahweh, we're followers of him and we're Israelites. You can't really prove it. The Israelites, however, their transplants back from Babylon, they were the southern tribe and they were brought over and then they were brought back and they were preserved and they could sign away to Ancestry.ca and you would get the results and it would say exactly 100% Israelite. This is the transitional place that Jesus walks into. Jesus, our hero. Now we read this in verse 12. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. Now in the Greek, we're told these are men, 10 men with leprosy, who stood off at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So here comes our desperate people now. We've got our hero and we've got our desperate people and they're 10 men infected with leprosy. Now, if you don't know this, leprosy was a thing back then. It is even today. Leprosy is the, uh, the, 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 the disease that affects the mucous membranes of, of, your, of your skin. 
to the point where you begin to desensitize to what's happening. And the real threat in leprosy is not that you've lost sensation, it's that with that lost sensation, then you touch something sharp or you touch something hot. And pretty soon, these limbs that have lost sensation, these digits, begin to be scarred and begin to fall off. This is every part of the skin, so even the face begins to be affected. Leprosy was and is still contagious. It's not highly contagious, but it's spread by contact. Uh, and someone who has it, someone who has it, the effective treatment for it wasn't found until, get this, 1980-something. That's 1980-something years after this story. So what you would do back then, all over the world, without a cure, is that you would isolate these people. You would cast them out. If you had this disease in the Israelites, the Old Testament gives you a prescription of what to do. It tells you to isolate them. It tells you that you need to warn people of your presence when you're coming so that you could not communicate the uncleanness to them. Here, in fact, is what Leviticus 13 says. It says that the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothing and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. I think what you're realizing here pretty quick is that the big problem with leprosy, more than a disease, is the social ostracism that comes as a result. If you have this, you're banished from city, you're banished from your family, you're banished from your society, you're banished from your culture. That's what these desperate people have. That's what they've got. Ten men infected with leprosy, society's outcasts. So that's why when we read in the text, they're standing off, that's why they're standing off at a distance. The, on this unnamed village on the border. And the mercy that they're crying out for is healing from this horrible, socially destroying disease. Now, if this was the only story you read in God's word, you might not know what happens next. But we all know what's gonna happen next. Even if you hadn't read this story, even if this was like the first time you read this story today, and you'd read all of the gospels and every miracle except for this one, you know what's coming. These guys are totally gonna get healed. You know, they, they, got, they got the hero Jesus, and you got desperate people, hero, desperate people, they're gonna get healed. You can imagine the disciples, right, backing away. Maybe Peter's there, he's watching the scene. They've just cried out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Oh, look at those guys. And Jesus stops. And you can see Peter, oh, guys, guys, guys. Two shekels says he's just gonna call out and heal him. You watch this, two shekels says he's gonna. And maybe, maybe, maybe James is next to him, he goes, no, 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 no. No, he's gonna walk over to them and he's gonna touch them. And maybe, maybe, maybe Andrew's there and he's like, no, he's gonna use the mud this time. He's going to go back to that mud trick where he puts mud on them and they're going to be healed like that. That's what he's going to do. And then you can have, hey, Thomas, what do you think? I don't think he's going to heal him. Thomas, man, Thomas, why you got to be like that? <laughs> you always doubt in everything, Thomas. What does he do? What does Jesus do? Verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. From the distance, the text tells us, from the distance, Jesus calls back to them. Go and show yourselves to the priests. Huh? What does that mean? Listen, just as there were commands to separate lepers for the sake of the community, so too there were commands for bringing back 
healed lepers into the community. Healed lepers were supposed to go and show themselves to the priests and prove that they were healed. And Leviticus 14, one chapter after Leviticus 13, where we're told to isolate them, uh, Leviticus 14 says that healed lepers were supposed to prove that they were healed, and then the healed lepers were examined for eight days, and then the healed lepers would be allowed to re-enter society. They'd be allowed to return to their families. They'd be allowed to be returned to their culture. So what happens? Verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priests, calls Jesus. And then we read, and then we read, and as they went, they were cleansed. As they went. The sense is, in walking towards, they were cleansed. In going, they were cleansed. While obeying Jesus, they were cleansed. Wow. Well, that's something new. We haven't seen this before. You can, you can picture it, can't you? These 10 men wake up one morning, they hear of Jesus coming, and they're calling out. They see him from a distance. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And they call again, because he maybe didn't hear the first. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And they're like, come on, come on, we gotta get everybody up. Come on, come on, Rusty, wake up. We need your voice too, call out. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And then he turns. He's turning, he's turning this way. He's turning this way. And the voice comes from the gap. Go and show yourselves to the priests. And so they turn and they say, okay, let's, let's do it. Let's go show ourselves to the priests. And they turn and they begin to walk. And you can imagine, you can f the, the tingling begins to come back in the fingertips. The tingling begins to come back in, in the toes and the sensation back within the face. And you can imagine as they're walking, they begin to look at their hands healing as they walk. Can you picture the scene? You picture, look at my hands, look at my hands. Look at, look at your face. It's, well, you can't look at your face, but look at my face. It's getting healed. Do you see this? Look at this. This is incredible. Nothing like this has happened before. I love that picture. In fact, one artist has put it this way. I really liked this painting. I think this really accurately pictures it. Look at them. They're pointing at each other's hands. There's laughter. Even Rusty's really excited. And this brings us to our first point today. How do you live with real thanksgiving in your life? As a Christ follower, how do you live with thanksgiving? It's very simple. The first thing you need to do is get your help from Jesus. Get your help from Jesus. Remember, we're learning today that real faith produces real thankfulness. Listen, you will not be thankful to the Lord. You will not give thanks to him in all circumstances that God calls us to if you don't ask for his help. That's right. Prayer and thanksgiving Go hand in hand. You show me a man or a woman who's grouchy, who's grumbling, who is grumpy about life that they're facing, is filled with thanklessness, and I will show you a man or a woman who has a weak to non-existent prayer life. You show me a man or a woman who's walking around with thankfulness despite the trials they're facing, despite the difficulties they're facing, and I will show you a man or a woman who is filled with prayer, who is growing in prayer. We need to be asking the Lord. But I want you to see this. We need to be asking expectantly. It's not just a random act. 
an ask. It's, a, it's an ask that expects to be responded to. I want you to see this. Listen, if anybody had a right to have a pity party, it's these 10 guys, right? If anybody had a right to, to have a pity party, tossed to the curb, left to die slowly, ostracized from family and friends and culture and religion, and oh yeah, they've got leprosy. Imagine if they woke up one morning and said, you know what, I hear that Jesus is coming to town. And that day, instead of doing what they did, imagine if they said, I hear Jesus is coming to town. And then some of them were like, nah, nothing's going to change. Why bother? Why even ask? It's never going to get better. Nobody can help me. This, This story is played out in my home just about every summer, maybe in your home, or maybe you can remember a time that it was played out in your home. It's hot outside, and the kids are out playing, and they come in where the air conditioning is, and they say, you know, the oldest one comes in first, leaving the two younger ones outside, and the oldest one comes in and says, Dad, can I have a Popsicle? And I say, yeah, sure, go ahead. You know where they are. Go ahead and get one. And then the younger one comes in afterwards, walks in, sees the older one with a Popsicle, And then embracing their victimhood, they run up the stairs, throw themselves on the bed, begin to burst into tears. You go up, confused as a parent. What's wrong with you? And what do you say to them? No, you didn't ask. You never asked me for a popsicle. And what's worse, you knew, because you saw it, that I'm a popsicle-giving dad. (laughs) Like, I proved that I give popsicles because I gave the older one one. Why didn't you ask me? Why didn't you ask? Are you questioning my character? Do you think I treat you? What's? You didn't even ask. I think you know where I'm going. How much of our thanklessness is a direct result of the fact that we have never even asked God for help. How come I haven't spoken to God about that trial? How come I haven't spoken to God about that difficulty, that pain, that struggle that's in my life? And God says to us, but you haven't even asked. And what's worse, you know that I'm a God who loves You know that I'm a God who gives good gifts. You've seen it in your brothers and sisters. You've seen how I've supported him or her in trial and difficulty and pain. You've seen how I've healed. You've seen how I can do anything. You've heard and tested. You've seen in your brother and sister how I will walk with them and I will never leave them and never forsake them. So why didn't you ask me? Why don't you ask me for help? Listen, the more that prayer is a reality in your life, the more thanksgiving will result. That's a guarantee. The lepers ask, and look what happens next. When they ask, check this out, believer in Jesus. When they ask Jesus, let me show you one word that will bless you this morning from our story. Jesus, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Jesus sees them. You see that? They're not ignored. They're not forsaken. He doesn't walk by pretending he ignores them. Their families rejected them. Their cultures rejected them. Their cities rejected them. They're living outside of everything. But Jesus 
sees them. The creator of heaven and earth. The one who speaks things like light into existence sees them. He sees them. And that reality, loved ones, that reality that Jesus sees you and he hears you should compel expectant prayers from us. This difficulty in our life is not meant to crush us and pound us to the ground. It's meant to drive us to God who can help us. But listen, if you're not asking, you're not getting, and you're not thankful. Asking in prayer is an essential ingredient in thankfulness. But notice, this conversation between you and the Lord also includes obedience. You're supposed to ask expectantly, but you're also supposed to ask obediently. Prayer, just as prayer and thanksgiving go together, obedience and thanksgiving go hand in hand as well. Here's how the apostle James in the New Testament put it in his letter. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. What he's saying there is this. You can't ask God for something and then live in rampant disobedience to him. When you ask him, for something, for him to do something in your life, and you disobey him, you can't expect him to move. You can't, and you certainly can't expect thankfulness to arise as a result in your life. But Jesus asks them to do something. He calls them to obey. He says, go and show yourself to the priest, and as they went, they're healed. As they were going, they were cleansed. While obeying Jesus, they were healed. That's how we're to ask. Expectantly, and obediently. We go to Jesus for help. Now let me just pause here in the middle of our story and apply some stuff. We've got more to go, but let me just pause halfway. Let me ask a couple questions. As you have been seeing, or as you maybe have seen for the first time, or maybe with renewed perspective today, is there that swamp of unthankful in your life? If you've got thanklessness in things in your life, maybe it's in the person that you're dealing with in your home. Maybe it's in the son or the daughter or the spouse that you're dealing with and there's thanklessness. Maybe it's in the trial at work or the trial with your health. Is there a difficult situation in your life where you are finding yourself not thankful to the Lord, but thanklessness is rising in your heart? If that's going on, then can I ask you the second question, which is how are you coping with it? How are you getting your help? If you're not getting your help from Jesus, where are you getting your help? Are you pouring it into yourself and trying to figure out the situation all by yourself? Are you, are you pouring yourself into work? Are you pouring yourself into friends? Are you pouring yourself into substances that will help you get by? Are you living for the next vacation? Are you living through your kids? Are you living for money? Are you taking mental vacations and going into idle thinking? Are you struggling with anxiety? Are you leaning into the next pleasure that you can find? Are you living in the past and, and thinking about the good old days? Are you rooting for the team and finding all your delight in the team? Or are you finding your help in Jesus Christ? the maker of heaven and earth, the literal son of God, the eternal spotless lamb who can do anything by the word of his mouth. Where are you getting your help? Are you in that swamp? Where are you getting your help? Here's my third question. What then is Jesus calling you to be obedient in? Is there something specifically in your life that maybe God said, I want you to obey in this and you haven't done it. And as a result, there's thanklessness pouring into your life getting into the cracks and crevices. Getting your help from him 
is that first step in finding real thanksgiving in our lives. Again, we're looking for real thankfulness as a result of real faith in our life. You've got to get your help from him. You've got to get your help. Is that a reality in your life? If you haven't asked expectantly and if you haven't asked obediently, you're not going to find it. Okay, so so far, we've seen that real thanksgiving, for it to come into our lives, we've got to ask Jesus for help. That's the first thing. But that's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to just ask expectantly and ask obediently. If that's all we've got, that doesn't give us thanksgiving. That gives us a Coke machine God where we put two bucks in and expect something in response. We do what he says and we get what we want. We do what he says, I get what I want. And by the way, that's every religion in the world. I do what he says, I get what I want. I say my prayers, my family's healthy, my crops come in. I do what he says, I get what I want. I pray in a certain direction, I get to go to heaven. I do what he says, I get what I want. I polish my God and put him in front of my storefront. He gives me prosperity. I do what he says, I get what I want. I do what he says, I get what I want. How many of us think that we've got a real definition of thankfulness right there? I do what he says, I get what I want. What if your kids behaved like this? Would, would you think that you've, you're seeing authentic thankfulness in this? Let's say your son or your daughter comes to you and says, Dad, Mom, look, I cleaned the room, I vacuumed the car, I folded the laundry. Can I have my phone back now? Will you back away as a parent and say, honey, come here, look. Look at the child that God has given us. Why do we think our quiver was full with this one? What thankfulness is coming off of this child's heart right now? That's not thankfulness, right? I do what he says, I get what I want. What if you worked like that? What if you were like, okay, look, boss, I come on time, I punch in, I do the work, I punch out, I get the paycheck. Are you as a boss going to go, employee of the month parking spot to this one. That's not thankfulness, right? I do what he says, I get what I want. It's not enough just to ask Jesus. Even if you ask Jesus expectantly and obediently, that's not enough. That's not real thankfulness. That's not what's happening in your life. Real thankfulness, the kind that God wants and commands from us, needs one more ingredient to work. And thankfully, we've got one more person to meet in our story. I showed you this picture earlier of this painting. I don't know if any of you were counting. There's only nine there. Did you guys catch that? Yeah. There's only nine. Actually, the full painting looks like, like this. Let's see this last guy. Something's different about this guy. Something has just happened in this guy's life that's going to produce the real kind of thankfulness that God wants to see from his children. He got his help from Jesus like the rest, but he's going to get a whole lot more. Let's meet him. Verse 15. Back to the text. Then one of them, when he saw, there's that word again, that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And then Luke adds, now he was a Samaritan. This guy's different for a couple of reasons, right? 
One, he's one of those Samaritans. He's one of those false worshipers. Go to Shechem, worship at Mount Gerizim, different temple, different priests. He doesn't go to Jerusalem. Sure, I mean, he found community among the rest of the lepers. They were Galileans. He found community among them, but now that they're healed, does he really think he's going to stay with them? There's the first reason why he's different. He's a Samaritan. The second reason, more importantly, is that he has been given sight. He sees what's going on. He sees who heals him, and he praises God and falls at the feet of Jesus and gives him thanks. And that takes us to our second point today. If real faith produces real thankfulness in our lives, how do we get that? Well, we got to get our help from Jesus, but here's the second thing. It's very, very simple. you got to get Jesus. Get Jesus. Now, we haven't talked about this so far, but that word thank is a verb. Now that verb is a verb is an action. Don't, I'm going to get into grammar here in a second. Don't lose me, okay? Uh, I looked it up. It was boring, so I can hopefully help you, so you don't get bored. Uh, the word thank is a specific kind of verb that grammar people call a transitive verb, and a transitive verb doesn't make any sense unless it has an object to do something to. So that doesn't make any sense. But let me point out. Here's a couple examples of transitive verbs. Transitive verb. Okay, so here's one. All the four are there. Bring. That's a transitive verb. And, and here it is in a sentence. Please bring Craig a glass of water. Okay? If you were to take out the direct object, a glass of water, it would make no sense. If I stood and said, please bring Craig, you would think, wait, I got to bring you somewhere? Uh, or, or what do you need me to bring? What, what? Please bring Craig what? Look at the next one. Please, Craig will make... Makes no sense unless you have a cup of. Craig pays. Craig reads. You need a direct object in order for it to make any sense. And thanks is another one of these transitive verbs. You can't just say, Craig, thanks. It doesn't make any sense. When you're thankful to give thanks to somebody, you, to be truly thankful, you have to be thankful to someone. It doesn't make sense apart from it. You can't be randomly thankful to nobody and for nothing. Look at the other nine guys that Luke tells us about. Are they thankful? Are we told in the text anywhere that they're thankful? No, we're not. We're told probably, they're probably happy, maybe even laughing a little bit, but they're not thankful because to be thankful, you have to have someone to be thankful to. I think so many of us, even as Christians are like this, how are you doing today? I'm thankful. Thankful for that car, thankful for that wife, thankful for that place, thankful, thankful, thankful. But are you really actually thanking God as a result of it? Are you actually, have you taken time today to say, thank you, God, for this? Look at the Samaritan in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Is this guy thankful? Absolutely. You bet he is. And who is he thankful to in verse 15? Turn back, praising God. He praises God. He's thankful to God. And the text tells us it, he praises him with a loud voice. Now, underneath that's a fun construction. It's in Greek. There's, it, the, the words are megales, or it's, it's phones megales. And if you switch them around, you get megales phones. And then if you mess with it in the English, like we do all the time with English, you get megaphone. 
This is a loud voice that he is using. He, this is a man who is running to Jesus and screaming out praise to God as a result. This is a thankful person, thankful to someone. I want you to see this. Thanksgiving to God is only possible through the person of Jesus Christ. I'll go one further, okay? To praise God it is only possible if you find Jesus. It's only possible through the person of Jesus Christ. To be thankful requires someone to be thankful too. If you want to live with real thanksgiving in your life today, believer in Jesus Christ, you need to have Jesus in your life in a vibrant way. Jesus at the center of my life. Jesus at the center of my desires. Jesus at the center of my joy and my hope and my peace. Jesus at the center. And when Jesus is at the center and he becomes the love of my life and the desire of my heart, then you will see real thanksgiving rise from your life. Now this man knows this. This man sees this. He's been healed. He knows who did it, and he runs to that man, and he falls on his face, and he thanks him. That's, that's real thanksgiving. But that's a different response than we see in the nine. Jesus notes this as well, verse 17. Then Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? What about the others? Where are they? Former leper, still a Samaritan, outsider if there ever was one, foreigner if there ever was one, yet here he is at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus says this in verse 19, and he said to him, former leper, foreigner, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And that phrase, made you well, is literally saved you. Your faith has saved you. It's the same word Jesus used with a woman who's weeping at Jesus' feet, 10 chapters ago in Luke 17, or in Luke 7. Your faith has saved you. Awesome. Just a second, though. Hold on a second. Didn't Jesus say that they were supposed to go and show themselves to the priest? This guy didn't do that, though. Have you noticed that? Wait a second. This guy didn't go and show himself to the priest. So how's he getting this? This is part of our story. It's helpful to see this. Remember that this man was a Samaritan, right? His buddies weren't. This is a man who worships at Shechem, Mount Gerizim, and his buddies would go and worship at Jerusalem. So we can picture when they call out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, and Jesus' response comes to him and says, go and show yourselves to the priest. Nine of them understand immediately, and they go. And then there's one who stops for a second and says, wait a second. What temple? What priests? Where I'm supposed to go to the presence of God. I'm supposed to go to where God is and show myself. And where do I go? I'm supposed to go to the person who intercedes for me before God. I'm supposed to go to the presence of God. I'm supposed to go to the, 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 the symbol of God. I, where, And then he gets it. Oh, go to where God is. Jesus, the ultimate priest. 
Jesus, the ultimate temple. Jesus, the place where forgiveness is to be found, where healing is to be found, where restoration is to be found. Jesus, the one who would very soon sacrifice his life upon a cross for that man and for you and I, that we might be freed from sins. Jesus, the intercessor between God and man, the greatest high priest who ever was, he goes to him. Thankfulness rises in his heart, real thankfulness, because he's gotten his help from Jesus, but then... The greatest miracle in the story, he understands who Jesus is. He's got Jesus now. And so he turns and he megaphones his praise and falls at the feet of Jesus. And we can just imagine the sidebar conversation between the Savior and this man. And of course he's down, so the Savior would be down. And he would say, you can imagine words of tenderness like, yeah, you found me. You found me. My son, you looked through life, you heard me calling you, and you found me. And you found healing, and you found the healer. You received the good from me, and now you have me. That's where real thankfulness is rising from. There's a difference between the 10 and the one, though. Have you seen this? Uh, There's a little, I've got a little chart that shows you the 10. You see it in the story, 10 come to Jesus, one comes to Jesus too. 10 stand at a distance, one falls at his feet. 10 cry for mercy, one praises God for receiving mercy. Jesus would send the 10 and he also sends the one. But this last two, 10 are cleansed, one is saved. 10 get healed and one gets Jesus. And Jesus' question, where are the nine? Where are the nine? So the choices are a student of God's word. Are we going to take and take and take and take and take and take? Stand at a distance, receive the good things from him, but never go to him? Or is thankfulness, real thankfulness, going to rise? As we understand that thankfulness is really a gospel issue of understanding who Jesus is and what he has done for us is the greatest reason, the greatest occasion ever for any thankfulness in our lives to ever rise. And are we going to go to Jesus and fall at his feet and thank him? I think what's clear from God's word this morning, though, the warning is very clear. It's possible to get good things from Jesus. It's possible to get health. It's possible to get a great family. It's possible to get a great job. It's possible to have the sun rise on you every morning and you still not have the Savior. It's possible. But you can't have real thankfulness. Where are the nine? Maybe today a change can be made, even in your life right now. Maybe today the Lord speaks to you and says, come, come find me. Look for me. Find me. I'm there for you. I'm the one who reaches to the broken and the downcast. I'm the one who calls to you in your brokenness and your sin. Come to me. Turn to me and trust in me and find life in me. Come to me and find real thanksgiving. Come to the healer. Get the greater gift. And then real faith begins to rise, producing real thankfulness in our lives. Oh, Lord, please, for hearts like this, even for you, believer in Jesus Christ, who sees yourself in that swamp of thanklessness, God calls to you again, remember who I am. Come to me. Remember what I've done for you. Is there ever a reason for a bad day in, in Jesus Christ? I've saved you. I've ransomed you. I've called you my child, and one day I will bring you home. Is there ever a bad day in your life? Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we do pray for real faith to be rising in our lives, real faith that produces this kind of real 
thankfulness. I'll just pray for my own heart, Lord. I see rivers of discontent in my life and places that I do not want them to be. I see a heart that complains about my family, a heart that complains about my work sometimes, a heart that complains about people that I love so very much, a heart that fails to recognize so many times how good my life is. I have been saved in Jesus. And I wrestle, Lord, with this thanklessness in my life. Lord, what you're calling us to today, Lord, is not only a life of prayer that expectantly calls to you and obediently walks with you. You're calling us not only to a life of prayer to seek you for your help in our lives, but you're also calling us to remember the truths, the great truths of the gospel and what you have done for us. That we would all fall at your feet. That you would change us. That we would be thankful men and women. Grateful children of yours. God, maybe even today there's a a change that's needed in our lives, maybe a repentance, maybe a turning away, that we would see again, God, your great mercy and your love for us that calls us to this place, that tells us, leave, leave that grumpy swamp you're in and turn to me. Remember what I have done for you. Remember the life that's found in me. God, I pray that if that's your will, you work in our hearts even now. Maybe even use this last song, God, as a prayer to you to draw hearts back to you in brokenness and repentance. Lord, lead us now even as we sing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.